And I uh, want you to think right now, because I know a lot of us, we think we know chapter 11. We've heard chapter 11. We've been studying the, the story of chapter 11 for as long as we can, and it's so well known. And the fear sometimes when something is well known, we don't really listen as much as we should. And I just want to tell you, and I think God is, is telling all of us that just because you know a story doesn't mean the story has changed you. And if we hadn't let the story change us, then the story hadn't fulfilled its its real purpose and what's going to, to go on here. Uh, so I will tell you this. We're going to end today with, with, with the last point. So you type A personality people, uh, you only get the last point and that is it. There's no notes, notes with point number five. Uh, I know that's going to kill some of you. Uh, but I just warn you now because that means you got to come back next week. Uh, because I really wanted to preach chapter 11 and chapter 12 together, uh, in about 15 to 20 pages in the notes. I realized you guys would hate me if I did. So we'll just do two weeks of it. Uh, not like we didn't know where we were going to go here in, uh, in future weeks anyway. So, uh, so that's where we're going to be. So, so here's where we're at. And I think this story is very relevant today. I think as we talk about things going on in today's day and time, it's, it's no different, uh, than what we see happening in David's life. The world is controlled by sexual sin. Our commercials have become, uh, dominant with sexual sin. Our movies, every movie has it no matter what it is. Uh, even our kids shows have now begun to, to intertwine some sexual sin mixed in there. And, and because of sexual sin, David makes a real bad decision that not only has the potential to just about ruin his family, but just about ruin the kingdom that God has allowed him to establish. Uh, and for some of us that are thinking, I know this story, but some of us that are thinking, I'm stronger, I'm a good Christian, I've been a believer my whole life. Let me tell you, sexual sin has brought about some of the strongest and best men and women ever. Uh, it is a sin that we just can't seem to handle. You think about David and just, just, just briefly reviewing David's life. David was a, was a shepherd that God took and made king. David was one that, that trusted God so much that he fought lions and bears with his bare hands. David was the one who was charged to go out and face Goliath when nobody else would. David had such trust in God that he refused to take vengeance on Saul, even when every single one of us in the room or at our houses today would have said it's okay to go about and do so. And, and, and all throughout his reign at the very beginning, he resisted every opportunity to draw attention to himself and, and through his own eyes and was constantly giving God the glory and credit for it. The last couple of weeks, we saw how generous David was. If you open your, your Bibles to the book of Psalms and many of the songs we sing today, he's written some of the most beautiful Christian songs that they worshiped to then, they, we still worship to today. He was known as a man after God's own heart, yet he's about to do something so bad and so deceptive and so twisted that before it's all over at the end of this chapter as we go through it, he's going to have a baby from a woman who's not his wife, he's going to kill her husband, and he's going to implement one of the biggest cover-up stories of all to hide it all. So while we get there and before we jump into it, just a, a note of courtesy, a note of politeness, whatever you want to call it. Maybe it's a good thing that some of us are at home and or most of us are at home and most of us are, are separated. Because here's the quick note. I know a lot of Christians, a lot of people have a problem talking about sex in church. I respect your opinion. The Bible, though, is full of sex. So therefore, we're going to talk about sex in church. OK, I, I also and I especially do this part. I also Respect your responsibility to determine what your children can hear, what your children can't hear. And if your children are ready to question you about some of the things that they may hear in Scripture and in here. So all I'm saying is this. If your child, I'm keeping it PG-13, but I may be a little, a little risky on some of the things. So I'm just being blunt and honest. If your child's under 13 and you're worried, maybe now's the time for you to tell them to go play in another room. 
If you were live, we would tell you now's the time for them to go to the gym and have kids hating. But in all honesty, he, he, here's here's what bothers me the most, and I'm being dead honest when I looked up statistics on this stuff the other, uh, yesterday. It's crazy how much sex and how often our kids and how much our kids are exposed to at an early age. The average age right now for a young man to see pornographic stuff, whether it be on a website or with a friend, is 11. 11, guys. I have an 11-year-old. Okay? He's back there. I've been okay with him being able to hear today, okay, because he's getting there where he needs exactly what I'm going to say right here. If the world is going to constantly talk about it and the world is going to constantly corrupt it, I believe that the best place for us to counteract the lies of the culture is in the church. I believe the best place for us to counteract the lies of the culture and the the exposing and the introduction of things that should not be exposed and introduced to in the wrong way should be in our homes. Okay? A lot of children, particularly little boys and unfortunately sometimes little girls, are being corrupted in a way that they're being corrupted in because you and I as godly parents haven't done the job to get them introduced the right way. Now, my men in the upper room, they know this. I'm very big on us being the ones that introduce sex to our children. It should not be something we're ashamed of. It should not be something we're scared of. It should be something that we're the ones that introduce them to it so that they're introduced to it in a healthy way and not a corrupted one. And when the world is the one doing the introduction to it, we as believers should not be surprised that our kids are being introduced and corrupted into a negative way because we've let them be that way. Okay? So I hope we can still be friends at the end of this. I hope we're okay with this. And and, and you've got your warning, so you don't have to email me or text me or call me later telling me that, that you disagree with anything because I understand that you do, and my response will be through this message. Okay? Let's open God's Word. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Verse one, two things are happening at the very beginning here. Look at verse one. In the spring, when kings march out to war, now we got the time setting in the spring. Kings didn't go to war in the winter because the roads would be nasty. Your chariots would get stuck. Your, your men would get bogged down. Uh, but in the spring, when it was dried up and, and nice, kings, kings, that's when they could make the journey. That's when they could make the trip. So, so the time setting right here at the very beginning, the author wants to make sure that we fully understand the king should have been on this trip. This was not a time period where he was excluded. There was no reason for him not to be there. There was no other stuff. This was the time period he was supposed to be doing what he was supposed to be doing, what he had been doing his whole life. But we get a comma there. David sent Joab with his officers and all of Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Two things that happened at the very beginning. The author is trying to show us. One, David was blessed. And two, David is disengaged. Now, those two go together, and here's why. And the first one, maybe we'll, uh, we'll need to, to at least be honest with ourselves about. When I say that David is blessed, things are going really well for David. The kingdom of God is finally being established. Everyone loves David. Last week in chapter 10, we looked at all the slew of battles that he's won. Stock in David is really high, and people are proud of him, and they got the right to be. He could almost look in his mirror to self and, and, and begin to feel proud himself. And that being okay, because he's been who God has called him to be. He's doing what God's called him to do, and he's doing a good thing. But unfortunately, and here's what we need to understand, and please understand this. Everything today applies to all sin, not just sexual sin. Okay? I'm going to focus on sexual sins. That's what the chapter focuses on. That's what God focuses on. But all this applies. If you don't struggle there, if you fooled yourself into thinking you don't struggle there, then apply this to, to another sin that you do struggle with, okay? So two times sexual sin is really appealing to you. First one is a time of great stress. Why? Because sex is a savior. 
Sex is an escape. Sex is something you retreat to. It's something that makes you feel better. And that makes sense. The second, which we'll really look at, is a time of great blessing. Now, some of you are thinking, hold on, now, I fully understand why sex would be a great escape when, when we're stressed and, and when things are not going well. But what do you mean when, when a time of great blessing? Because here's what we say when we get in a time of great blessing. When things are going really well for us, we begin to forget how much we were dependent on God. We begin to forget how much God had done through us and how much we needed God to get through things. And, and we tend to think that even though, and even this is subconsciously, we tend to think that we can go out our own and we're not worried about breaking the rules. And there's maybe where David is at for the very first time in his leadership position. He's in a time of great blessing. Scripture records no faults when he was a shepherd. Scripture records no faults when he was a servant. Scripture records no faults when he was a warrior. Not to say he didn't make faults, just saying they weren't enough to be recorded in Scripture. But Scripture records great faults when he's a king. When he's in a time of his greatest Blessing when he thinks everything is going great and he thinks that he's not worried about all the rules. It says that it was a time for him to go out to war, yet he remained on his couch in his beautiful palace. And here's the example for us. And here, here's maybe a, an extra point in the middle there. Confidence beyond capabilities gets us in trouble. When we begin to be more confident than our capabilities, we get in trouble. Think about a little kid. A little kid who doesn't know how to swim. A little kid who has no fear of water, yet no capability of swimming, yet is confident enough to still jump in the water because he doesn't have the fear of the consequences. What will happen? If someone's not there to save him, he would drown. Because he became, he became more confident than he was capable. It's the same thing with us. We get more confident than we are capable and we think we can handle more than we can. When we are weak and we are humble, we know that we got to cling closely to God. When we're flat on our back, the only thing we can do is look up to God. But when we're walking upright, we forget quickly how much we need God. We forget to cling tightly to him. Maybe that's why repeatedly throughout the Bible from beginning to end, there's phrases like, let him that stands uh, uh, be careful unless he's going to fall. Maybe that's why there's multiple warnings against us when things are going well. You don't know exactly how close you may be to disaster. Until disaster has knocked at your door. And here's the second thing that, that goes with that that we see in this. David was disengaged. One of the most obvious things we see at the beginning. He was disengaged from the battle. It says in verse 1 that he sent others to do the job he was supposed to be doing. A lack of engagement made him susceptible to cheap thrills. And when you, are, when you have a lack of engagement, you're susceptible to cheap thrills. When you're not who you're supposed to be. And maybe you can write it down this way. The way to successfully resist the enticements of this world is to be busy with a higher purpose. To be busy with a higher purpose. For a lot of people, their lives are so empty and so pointless. The excitement of sex produces fulfillment. The excitement of materialism that they desperately crave promises fulfillment. And that's why you're driven to it. See, we look at this thing wrong when we look at it from a world's point of view. This is not a physical lust thing. This is a miserable soul thing. You're not just physically stuck in lust. You're miserable in your soul because you're not living out the purpose God has for you. Because if you were engaged in the purposes that God had for you, you wouldn't be able to fall quite as easy as you're falling in some of the things that we're in. We've got to get involved in our higher calling. We've got to be excited about what God has planned for us and overpower the lust of the flesh. You can be controlled by sex when you're, you can't be controlled, I'm sorry, when you're actively engaged as a spiritual leader of your family, man. 
You can't. When you're sitting down with your, your wife and your kids daily and looking them in the eye being the spiritual leader you're supposed to be, there's no way you can be fallen. Because the pressure won't allow you to. And if you have fallen, you'll recover quickly with repentance rather than being like David and waiting almost a year before we get to chapter 12. Thank God we don't have to wait till we preach chapter 12. And, and, and thank God we don't have to wait a year before we get back right. We can get right today. Just acknowledging the problems of whatever they are. And we're so susceptible to these things because we're bored. Because we're bored. We're, we're, we're not living a life of courage. We're not living a life of ministry that God's called us to live. We're sitting on the sidelines, disengaged from the battle. It's a lot harder to take your pants off when you're in a fight than when you're on the couch. Am I right? I mean, think about it. I can tell y'all laugh all you want to. Let's be honest. One of the first things I do, I get home, my pants come off and I'm on the couch. Now, none of y'all picture that because that would be sinful. So maybe I shouldn't have said it that way. Or maybe it would just give you a horror story. I don't know. Right. But here's the truth about it. You picture if you're in a wrestling match or a ball game or anything else and you just stop the game or stop the wrestling match and take your pants off. Would that not be the weirdest thing in the world? So, so there it is. It's a lot easier if you're staying in the fight and staying active in the game to leave your pants on than if you get comfy and relaxing at the house. Right? All right. Verse 2 is what it says next. I told you I would get in trouble with a couple things. Verse 2 says it happened late one afternoon. Now, I studied this phrase right here for so long because I had, I had a lot of different ideas. None of them came to complete pass, so I'm not going to talk about any of them. <laughs> So maybe that'll get you to study chapter two in the time. Frame. I don't even know if the time frame is important. I think as I studied the time frame, I tried to maybe wonder maybe Bathsheba's being completely innocent and this meant really late at night. Or or maybe it was just the evening. I, we don't know. Because that word has such a you were studying from Genesis all the way through the, the, the word just doesn't have an exact thing. But here's what the verse says. It was late one afternoon, evening, it was definitely dark according to the Hebrew word. So whether that was just as the sun set or or way late in the night. And it said David arose from his couch. He rose from his palace, he rose from bed, and he saw on the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful, it says. Now, the word here for beautiful, I did check out as I, as I dove into this verse, is Toby, or Tob, whatever, right? Here's what it literally means. She was fine. I'm, tell, I'm telling you, you, you check it out. You think I'm joking. You open up your, your stones, your orders, or whatever you use, and check it out. It meant that she was very pleasurable to look at. Now, here's how I know how fine this woman was. Scripture very rarely rates people off their looks. Am I right? I mean, you don't have many verses that say, and, and Joab was an 11 on a scale of 100. I mean, you just don't have that. So for, for verse to stop right here and say that she was very fine, what Scripture is saying, she was smack your mama gorgeous. You know what I'm saying? I mean, she was beautiful. Now, I'm saying that so that you understand this, and I'm not making excuses for David. I just want you to understand what scripture is saying. This was a beautiful woman. But the only reason David fell is because of number three. David was in a place where he could be tempted. Because I don't care how beautiful somebody is. If you're not in a place where you can be tempted, you can't be tempted. And that's rocket science, ain't it? Right? Think about it. She, she's bathing. He's on his roof. You could almost say this. Let's connect it back to, to, to current day, right? This is the Old Testament version of a man not being able to sleep. So he jumps on the Internet. And he clicks and he clicks and then he dwells and he dwells and he clicks again and feelings begin to overpower him. So he calls her up. He invites her over to have a couple of drinks. One thing leads to another and he sleeps with her. Now, I don't know about you guys, but a show we've been watching during this lockdown 
just because it's come on TV a few times, is the Karate Kid. I love the Karate Kid. The Karate Kid is clean. The Karate Kid's got good stuff. Mr. Miyagi has got excellent advice for this era right here. Mr. Miyagi, when he begins to teach Daniel's son how to fight, and Daniel's son asks, how can I avoid getting hit so much? Mr. Miyagi gives it to him very clearly and says this, the best way to avoid a punch is to not be there. Rocket science, once again, correct? The best way to avoid a punch is to not be there. The best way for you to avoid sexual sin or any other sin is to not be there. It ain't rocket science. And it is way easier. Understand me this, because I think sometimes we think we can play and, and then we're stronger later. It is way easier to avoid temptation than it is to resist sin. Stop it before it goes too far. Right? Now, I want to develop this, and I, and, and I want to go a little deeper here, but I want to pause and talk about Bathsheba for just a minute. Now, while we're talking about that, that first thing, though, before I go any deeper, I do want to say this. I have figured out how not to ever fall into sexual sin. So, men, listen up. Women, if you struggle with it, not to sound sexist, because we all may have this struggle, here it is. You cannot have sex with someone if you're not alone with them. Thank you. Write that down. Tell me that it solved all your problems, and that will be great. Am I, am I not right? Unless you're a complete weirdo, by the way. Maybe there is that le- level of weirdness out there in our world, unfortunately. Some of you may have went there, right? You cannot have sex with somebody if you're not alone with them. Okay? So you cannot fall all the way. Now, we're, we're going to get to the battle of the mind, too, today. But you cannot fall all the way if you're never alone with them. It's easy. You can't get punched in the face, Mr. Miyagi said, if you're not there. Okay? All right, back to Bathsheba, and then I'm going to come back to that, but that was just obvious, and I think we needed to get it, right? I don't think Bathsheba is entirely innocent. I'm not blaming her, but I don't think she's entirely innocent, and here's why. And I'm using Scripture to give this idea, not just a man trying to say it's a woman's fault, okay? She doesn't give any kind of protest to David when he invites her over. You say, well, how do you know from this one instance that this is the case? Because other stories in Samuel where a woman does have a, a protest and it leads to something it shouldn't lead to. We're not going to go into that word today with kids. But when that happens, Samuel makes a or the writer of Samuel makes a very clear note that the woman didn't want it. That the woman was trying to protect herself, that the woman protested the, the sexual advances or, or, or however you want to word it. OK, in this instance, the same writer gives no implication to that. That leads me to believe just looking at scripture for what it says in and throughout is that this was a fully consensual thing. She looked at David and she was maybe a little starstruck by the king. Maybe even this. Now, I'm going to take this one as an idea. This isn't exactly in it, right? But as an idea, maybe and going out on a limb, maybe she intended for David to see her naked. Now, when I say that, here's what here's what I want you to understand before you, you completely tune that idea out. David's balcony is an eye shot of where she's bathing. All right. If you hadn't studied Jerusalem and how it's set up, it, it, it's, it's a hierarchy. Basically, the higher houses and the higher roofs are the powerful people. OK. And yes, they have the ability to stand on their roof and look out and see things that are under them. Do you not think she knew where the king lived? Ladies, if we're talking about us, do you not think you would know if the president lived in your backyard? Do you not think you'd be able to acknowledge the fact that his house was higher than your house? So even if he wasn't on his roof, maybe he was at his window and he was looking out and could see things. Now, I say that and I want you to understand this, okay? I think she may have wanted David to see her, but I don't think she ever intended to seduce him. 
And here's why. And I'm just using things that we see today with people. Okay. I think she enjoyed the attention. Might have enjoyed the attention. Put it that way so it's completely fair. Her husband's been away for a long time. He's obviously very loyal and he's not going to make any business as his head red. You know, even when he has the opportunity to maybe. She's lonely. She hasn't had the attention that maybe uh, she's been craving. She wants the attention. At the very least, we can agree with this. She's not being very careful about what her neighbors can see. At the very least. Okay? So so here's where it is. And, here, and here's why I want to point that little section out with Bathsheba. Because I think this whole story gives us a great picture of the differences on how men and women might get in trouble with sex. And here's what it is. David gets caught up in sex because he doesn't keep himself away from temptation. Because he clicks and he clicks and he dwells on it and he invites it over. There's, there's a clear path there, right? He gets caught up and he falls. Bathsheba gets caught up because she wants to be noticed, perhaps. One way or the other, she's wanting to be noticed by somebody. So here's the application. Guys, stay away from temptation. It's easier to avoid temptation than it is to resist sin. Martin Luther has a quote. If your head is made of butter, then you stay away from the fire. I like it. Makes sense. I don't know why your head would be made of butter, but it makes sense. you got to know yourself. Know yourself. The enemy has studied you. He watches tape on you. I tell people that all the time. I fully believe he tries to watch and learn everything about you so that he can trip you up the best way he can. He knows where you are weak. You know where you are weak. So protect yourself. To the best of my counting ability, David had 17 women he was allowed to sleep with. 17. That's to the best of my counting ability. I think scripture may have even left some out, but he had at least 10 concubines and at least seven wives. That's 17 women. I lost my hair with one woman. We draw all these pictures of David. I think he was bald too. All right. Think about this though. Think about what this is saying. Think about what he has now set up for his children. Solomon, one of his children. Anybody want to guess what he had? If you don't know. 700 wives or 300 wives, 700 concubines. 1,000 women. Here's the lesson. If one woman ain't enough for you, a 1,000 women ain't enough for you. Okay? If you can't handle one, you're not going to be happy with a 1,000 of them. It's not a matter of a physical lust thing. It's the thing of a miserable soul. Right? Understand this. I don't know why we want to play Russian roulette with our families. If you can't handle porn and stuff, then guess what? When you go on a business trip and you're in a hotel or whatever all alone, have them cut the TV off. Have them take the TV out. There are statistics that have where church conventions go on, and that's the highest weekend of porn in hotel rooms. And you want to, non- you want to wonder why the world doesn't believe everything we preach and say? Because we don't believe what we preach and say. Because if we believed it, we would be living differently. Okay? If you can't handle it, don't get on the internet. If you gotta have an internet and get on because of the world we're living in and stuff like that, set up things. You can buy programs now. They will give you programs now where people can get what you're looking at. And I assure you, if you looked at some of the nasty stuff that you've been looking at and then your best friend knew it or your wife knew it or another person knew it, you would stop. You would stop out of the guilt and the shame it would bring forth on you. Dude, I, I dare anybody who struggles with it to make their wife their accountability partner. Now, woman, please be strong because he may stumble and and you're going to need to be okay and help him through this. You're his helpmate. okay? 
But if he's brave enough to do that, my goodness, the benefit that could bring forth to a marriage and to the restoration of a soul of a human being. Okay? Don't play Russian roulette with it. It would be no different than an addict saying they could still hang out with everybody they used to get high with. Are you an idiot? Think about this. And we use the excuse all the time of, of, yeah, but I'm trying to minister to them. God didn't call you to minister while you were still having the urge to stick the needle in your arm. Okay? You got to get over it before you can teach them how to get over it. No different than drinking. Now, you, you will have an awesome ministry. Hear me right. And you will be able to minister to people greatly. But you better make sure you're doing it God's way and not your own way. Or maybe when we seek advice, maybe we met new friends and we liked them and they were cool and we liked what they said, but they were very unbiblical views. Why would you surround yourself with people who are going to give you those kind of views if you know they're not God's views? That's where we get into trouble. Like I said, I can't have sex with a woman if I'm not alone with her. It ain't rocket science, okay? For girls, here's the application. Quit wanting your body to be noticed. Now, I know you're not going to like me, and I know you're not going to like some of the things I say, and that's okay because God has called me to say him, and you can just not like God if you want to. That's between you and him, right? Be careful how easy it is to make your body noticed, okay? I feel like a lot of girls, and this is being all honesty and not trying to be mean in any which way, I think a lot of girls are just so naive that they dress certain ways to get certain attention. I don't think they're trying to seduce a guy because they get mad and they get offended when they speak to them sexually. But let's be clear. If you dress that way, your body is going to be noticed. Okay? God made us this way. God made Adam's eyes get attracted to Eve when he first saw her. That was his plan to procreate earth. It's not like a boom surprise, right? And I know this is partially our fault because we lust, but maybe you can help us out just a little bit as your Christian brothers. Maybe you can benefit us just a little bit because here's the this. If you're dressing where our attention is on you, our attention is not on God. Is, is that clear, right? Now, some of you are thinking, well, well, how do you want me to dress, Pastor? You just, you just want me to wear a hoodie and a sweatpants and, and you want me to have denim jeans and the mom jeans and have Bible verses written all over them? I think a Bible verse on your butt would be better than cheer on your butt. Now, understand me and tell me if I'm wrong. Girls say they don't dress that way to get noticed. Then why would you have words on your butt cheeks? Am I right or am I right? I'm just calling it like I see it, okay? If you didn't have words there, I wouldn't be trying to read them. Right? Maybe. I don't know. Let's be honest about it, though. All kidding aside. All kidding aside. I'm not even joking. I think my wife drinks very dresses. She don't drink stylishly. She dresses stylishly. Dr. Pepper is not a stylish drink, right? I think she dresses stylishly. I think she's beautiful. I, I think she's modest. I, I think everything about it. Sometimes she's even p- particularly said, I don't want to wear that because I don't want other people looking at me that way. Okay? And I think she is absolutely beautiful. So here's the truth. I can't be consumed with lust for another woman and filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time. So why should you be in competition with God's Spirit about what I'm focused on? Right? Listen, if you love your brothers, girls, if you love your Christian brothers, if you love potential brothers in Christ, understand that they are fragile and you need to help them out. Have a little compassion on us. We're idiots, okay? I'll say it. We're idiots, okay? And please don't be dumb enough to think if your guy friend tells you, oh, I'm not tempted in that area. He's lying, okay? 
Every man gets tempted in that era. And how you dress could be a real act of love and service to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? And that goes both ways. Guys, if you got a smoking hot body, which it many of us, then dress modestly too. I don't want to be sexist in this, okay? I'm not saying it's the other person's fault if we strike a match. But what I am saying is why do you have to pile the twigs and, ga- and, and drench them in gasoline right under our feet? Right? We still friends? All right. All right. It's easier to avoid temptation than resist sin. That was the point. All right, here we go. And one more thing before I leave that one. This is way about way more than porn and dress. Guard yourselves emotionally. Now, this one's back back more toward women than it is men typically. Not all the time, but typically. There's a right way and a wrong way for married women, men and women to interact with people who aren't their spouse. If you're dying to check a message on Facebook or whatever from somebody who's not your spouse, you're wrong. Okay? If that's consuming you, you're wrong. If you've got emotional needs that aren't being fulfilled by your spouse and you're letting them be fulfilled by another person, then you are setting yourself up and the other person for disaster, whether it ever gets physical or not. It's easier to avoid temptation than resist sin. Verse 3. David sent and inquired about the woman. Takes it further. And somebody told him, man, this is Bathsheba. She's got a dad. She's got a husband. What's he really saying here? Here's the really important thing. The author's pointing out that this is somebody's daughter and somebody's wife. Now, just in that little sentence, you can say, well, why? what's the big deal on that? Why, why is that? Because here's the problem. When you see and you, you observe sexual sin, you always objectify somebody. They become an object rather than a person. That's, that's why the greatest fear, and I'm, I'm talking about pe- people who aren't pastors, who aren't trying to give you a spiritual lesson, but, but, but psych- psychologists and medical professions will tell you it's one of the greatest fears when somebody gets addicted to porn. Because then they objectify, objectify. I don't know what the word is. You know what I'm trying to say, so go with it, right? They, they do that to, to, to whatever they're looking at rather than make that connection, right? They become an object of pleasure. You forget that you're dealing with a person. You forget that you're dealing with somebody's mother. Someone's daughter, someone's wife, a future, your future wife, somebody else's future wife. I mean, let's be honest. You want to get real, real? You want to know what one of the number one reasons I can always say no to porn? It's because now I have a daughter and I look at them like that's somebody's daughter. And if for no other reason, I can say there's no way I would ever want to look at somebody else's daughter that way. Let alone the million other reasons that we shouldn't be, Okay. Not only are you sabotaging that person, but you're sabotaging multiple layers of people. Multiple layers of people is what he's trying to say. Man, this sin isn't just going to affect you and Bathsheba. This is going to affect your dad, her husband, possibly kids, or whatever else that's going on. For Bathsheba, it's the same thing. She's just not going to have a, a, a night of pleasure with the king. She's going to destroy a man. A man after God's honor. She's going to destroy his family. She's going to do great damage to, to God's kingdom. And understand this, man. God's rules, they're not arbitrary. It's not like, and I think people think this sometimes, people think sometimes that God invented sex and then was like, wow, they really enjoy that. I better rein that back in. No, it didn't surprise God at all. It didn't surprise God. Sex is the unity of bodies, uh, but it's also it's also done to uh, be accompanied by a unity of everything else. A oneness of your hearts, a, a oneness of your futures, a oneness of your bank accounts. A oneness of everything is what God intended for this, to make them one. It's why we can beat our kids in an argument. Right? Because we are one. We stick together to get those little boogers, right? Sex done this way is life-giving. But sex done the other way outside of marriage, man, it, you could write it down this way. And write this down. Write this down. D-I-S dash 
I-N-E-G-R-A-T-I-N-G. Look at it. My wife is correcting me. D-I-S slash I-N-E-G. No, E-G. Stay with me. See, you don't know. Oh, no, you're right. <laughs> Spell it yourselves. We're going to have another sermon right after this on disobedient women. Here's the thing. Here's, you've ruined it. Here's the thing. Sex done the wrong way tears apart the integrity of people. There's the lesson. Reese, bring me some tape. Did Reese leave? Oh, there he is. All right. Give me the clear one. By the way, I'm very disappointed that we're in the South and nobody has duct tape, including myself. Give me a couple men. Come on, Josh. You know you got those hairy arms. You've already been picked. Where's the beginning of this thing? Yeah, do your job. All right. Let me get, let me get probably two more. Either a leg or an arm. You know what's coming. There's no need to, no need to shout. Bobby got good hair. Come on, Bobby. Duke, come on. I know you got a little bit. That should be good. That should be good. You got it? He got it. He got it. He got it. All right. All right. We're going to start with little man. Because sometimes we make the mistake of thinking how many people we sleep with doesn't matter. So we're like this piece of tape. And it's really stuck to that first person. That hurt a little bit? See, it hurts a little bit. And it tears some stuff out of people. Let's get, let's get Josh so we can get a good illustration here. You got lucky I did little man first, by the way. That, that was me being gentle. Since you threatened me with a gun. <laughs> a little more. A little more. Let's see. Oh, you're good to go. It's already. After Josh's banana, or, uh, gorilla arms over there, you're good. Yeah. Oh, you didn't feel it. You didn't even feel nothing. You didn't feel nothing when you're making a connection with somebody. Hmm. Ah. You know, now it's not even sticking. You see the illustration, guys? The more people we try to stick to, by the time we finally make it to the one that could have been the one, we've lost our connectivity. We've lost it. Now, you look at this. Thank you, guys. You look at this this piece of tape. Now, this is, man, I don't know, probably still a 100 layers of clear tape, and you can still read the words under this because we think ourselves pure. And I'm going to come back to this at the very end, so don't let, let nobody miss me that, okay? But we pulled so much crap off from trying to connect with things that we're not supposed to connect with. This applies to everything, not just sex. We've tried to connect to so many things we're not supposed to be connecting with that we've got so much dirt on the inside that then it begins to block what we can see clearly. Verse 4. David sent messengers and he took her. And she came to him and she lay with him. Then we get this little note in verse 4. Now she had been purifying herself from uncleanliness. I love what the author does here for us as church people because here's where, here's where we're going. She had been keeping religious observances. That's what he's saying, right? 
She's been keeping religious observances. Here's the hypocrisy that's taking place. And the author is making a point to make sure that we point it out. She's purified herself from uncleanliness. Yeah, because adultery is not uncleanliness to God at all. Right? And here's the sad truth. Isn't it amazing how many of us can be involved in sin all throughout the week and then we can come to church on Sunday morning like that's all God really cares about? We can make sure that we're at our house to log on to Facebook Live to check out a sermon on Sunday morning or at least some point throughout the week because that's all God cares about, right? What if I told you that God is more concerned with what you did last night than what you're doing this morning right now in his house? Hmm? What if I told you that your religious observances mean nothing if it's not a change of heart that's causing you to do them? What if I told you that if you kept trying to connect to so much crap that you weren't, and that's what I'm calling all the partners you weren't supposed to be with and all the things you weren't supposed to, they were crap because they were something you weren't supposed to be connected to at that moment in life. They were something that got in the way. They were a distraction and it messed with your integrity and you became disintegrated. That's the word I was trying to spell. I should have just left it alone, right? God doesn't want your prayers and your shows of religion if you're not surrounded by him and surrendered to him. Okay? That stuff does nothing but anger God even further because you are mocking God. I can't tell you how much mocking went on with big youth groups during the boom of, of, of youth youth uh, youth rallies and stuff like that. When people who were the partiers, who were the ones that would sleep with more people than ever, who were drinking and doing drugs with more people than ever, and they would come to these rallies and have their friends there with them and say, man, I didn't know you were a churchgoer too. We really can hang out together. You were both mocking God, and it made him sick to his stomach. That's what he says, not me. Verse 5 says, then she returned to her house. She noticed, who knows how much time it actually passed here, I guess, what, four to six weeks minimum. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. Now you can wonder a lot of things on why she's telling him that. Maybe it's because adultery was punishable by death and she's crying out for mercy. Hey, if we get caught, guess what? I'm dead. You know, who knows what it is? But he, here's where we get our plot. And I'm just going to fly through this plot because I want to I want to get back to some of the lessons we're supposed to get. Right. After all, you guys say, you know, the story so well. Right. Here's where the plot plot. Number eight. David's David's ingenious cover up. He calls Joab and he says, man, I want you to bring your eye home. I want him to give me a brief on the war. He gets back. He does and explains what's all happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. David says, why don't you go to your house? He thinks he's going to his house. But in reality, he stays right there on the porch. With the rest of the soldiers that night. Now, now, here's my thing, man. Can you imagine here in verse 11, after he's he stayed with the brother or stayed on the, with the soldiers and, and the real drama when Uriah refuses to go home? Verse 11, all my brother's soldiers are sleeping in the tents in the midst of battle. And the ark of God is out there, too. He even includes the ark of God. That's all that's. You ever notice like when you've done something wrong, like God's just going to stab you deeper and deeper until you understand it. Right. Not only are all my brothers out there, but the ark of God is there, too. And it's just not right that I get to go home, lounge around on my couch without my pants on and sleep with my wife. Basically what he's saying, right? So he sleeps in this room with the palace guard, da-da-da-da-da. Can you imagine the conviction that was for David? Wow. Wow. Man. But even that doesn't stop David, guys. Sin is a slippery slope. He gets plan B going. That didn't work. I tell you what, and I'll use this one since we're in the coronavirus, right? He gets him a couple coronas. He gets him drunk. Maybe a lot of Coronas. I don't even know how much alcohol is out of Corona. He gets him so hammered. Here's the thing. And he's thinking, man, drunk guys lose their nobility, right? 
He was a noble guy, but he still wanted to party when the party was there, I guess. He gets so drunk, he doesn't even make it back into his house. The story tells us that all the neighbors know that he was so drunk, he fell asleep in the yard. Passed out. Boom. Well, guess what ain't happening if he ain't in a room alone with a woman? Sex. Y'all still scared to say that word, aren't you? It's all right. We go. I'm going to get everybody to say it at least once. Okay? Yeah, it ain't happening. And all the neighbors know it. Man, he was so drunk he passed out in his yard. There's no way he was with his wife last night. Could have stopped right there. You know, David could have said, God, I understand you're giving me all these strikes. I'm I'm, going to stop right here. But no, David develops a plan C. David is so desperate. Church, please hear me. People still hear me. You got to be real careful when you're desperate because you'll do desperate things when you're desperate. And it'll lead you down a path you don't want to go down. He writes uh, Joab a note. I almost said Jacob. He writes Joab a note and he says, put your eye on the very front of the battle. And when you charge line, have everyone pull back from it. Leave him there so he's alone so that he dies. David's intention is, is, is still somewhat, he's trying to make it okay. I just want Uriah to die. I'd never caught this until last night, which I'm ashamed to say because I don't know how many times I've read David and Bathsheba. But did you hear what, what, what Head had said and, and what I noticed earlier this week about it being more than Uriah that died? His whole battalion had to die. Because when you're desperate and you do desperate things, it not only hurts one person, it hurts a lot of people. His whole battalion had to die. And David wasn't even thinking about it when he made the plan. He said, I just want Uriah to die. Now, the crazy part is Joab just being loyal to the king. He knew this wasn't a good move. And the story that he relates to uh, talks about um, in, in Chronicles or Judges, I think, uh, where the story comes from on how they got too close to the wall and, and, and people were taking it. So he knows it's not right. He seals up this note. <laughs> I can't think of a sadder part than right here, guys, if you hadn't caught it. He seals up the note and he hands it to Uriah to carry back. Uriah himself is carrying his own death warrant and delivering it to Joab because he had so much trust and confidence in the leadership of David. Do you see how deep this thing has gotten? This is David, the loyal servant, a man after God's own heart. If you don't take notes, still write this down. Unconfessed sin changes you. Unconfessed sin changes you. God understands, and I understand, the church understands, everybody sins. But people who cover it up, they destroy themselves and they destroy others. The question is not, do you sin? Because we all do. The question is, what do you do after you sin? The question is, how do you handle it? What do you do after your sin makes the difference between life and death? Uriah dies. David takes Bathsheba to be his wife, takes her into his house. She bears a son. Everybody assumes she got pregnant on the honeymoon. And David brushes this whole thing under a rug like it's behind us, right? Because we think we're good cover-uppers. We think we can cover up something real well and keep it hidden. And we think we're in the, in the, in the free zone, right? But before we get to chapter 12 next week, there's verse 27 in this chapter. And here's where it says, but the thing that David had done displeased Yahweh. The author, the writer, he pauses for just a moment to give us a sentence that tells us exactly what God was thinking on this whole story. And and the thing is this, that God was displeased 
Yahweh was not happy. And chapter 11 is going to be a huge turning point in the life of David. His whole family starts to fall apart after this. His newborn son dies, is going to die. His, his firstborn son is going to die. Another one of his sons leads a rebellion against him. Another one of his children uh, rapes his daughter. It's a downward spiral. We already talked about Solomon that thinks he's got to have a thousand women to be satisfied. It's a downward spiral and it started with daddy. So so here, here's the rest of our lessons. I'm, I'm going to review the first couple. One, you didn't get it. Sin can destroy your life. Sin can destroy your life. Too many people are on the brink of disaster. Maybe you're logged in right now. or Maybe you're sitting in the church right now because you're on the brink of falling for whatever sin it was. Whatever materialism, whatever sexual sin, whatever addiction, whatever it was, you're on the brink right now of falling. Here's some advice I got this week that I took advantage of. Make a list of, I think they said 25, I did 10. I'm an underachiever. Make a list, though, of the consequences of your immorality. I'll share mine with you. I'll share mine with you. The consequences, if I was to be immoral, I would bring untold hurt and shame to my wife, Crystal. First one I thought of. Second, I would have to endure the loss of her respect and her trust and possibly lose my relationship with her altogether. Number three, I would put shame on my mother and father that thought they did a good job raising me. And I would also put shame on her mother and father as well that decided that it was okay that I marry her. Number four, I would seriously damage the confidence of my children. My children would look at me different. They would, they would probably never understand why I traded them for some cheap thrill and a moment of pleasure. Number five, I would cause shame on all of you, my church family. Number six, I would give an easy punchline to all the skeptics and the atheists out there who already mock God because I represent him and there I did a crappy job of it. Number seven, I would heap judgment and endless problems on the girl I committed the adultery with. Everyone would look at her different, especially in good old give ands, right? Everyone. Oh, there's the girl that ruined the church. There's a girl that tore the family apart, right? Number, number, uh, what am I at? Number eight, most importantly, I'd grieve Jesus Christ. I would slap Yahweh in the face, according to what he says when he looks at this. Number nine, I know one day I'll have to stand before him. I'll look him in the face at the judgment seat and I'll have to give an account on why I did what I did. And I couldn't imagine doing that if I'd done it. Could you imagine standing before Almighty God? A place that, that is supposed to be when this kingdom comes, a place that's supposed to be all about his worship and his ways. And one of the things you got to do is confess that. Wow. And, and just 10, and there's many more. I'd follow in the footsteps of so many men whose immorality had forfeited their ministry and humiliated themselves. Because unfortunately, every time I think about sexual sin, all I can think of is spiritual leaders that have fell to it. I don't think about the sinners that fell to it. God expects sinners to fall to it. Right? God expects those outside the body of Christ to fall to it. But you know who I think of personally? I think of those that were spiritual leaders that fell to it. Because they're the ones that hurt me the most, and I think they're the ones that hurt God the most. And and here's the thing. Those would be the result of my sin, right? Well, you're thinking, hold on, can't sin be forgiven? Yeah. You think you can't God make all things new like we talked? Yes. But sin still has painful consequences. His cover-up and his making things new does not change the consequences. Sin kills. The, the Puritan John Owen says, be killing sin or it be killing you. That's a man who talks like me, so I like it, right? You be killing sin or it be killing you. Sin kills. Second thing, which we've already talked about, you should be actively engaged in God's plan for your life. 
If you're not actively engaged, then you've got a big void right in the middle of you and your relationship with God, and you're going to fill that void with any sin. It's that simple. Again, it's not a physical lust thing. It's a miserable soul thing. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're not here for the first part. Maybe you're here today for this right here. You don't know what that plan is. Well, then I just want to encourage you to find out what that plan is for you. If nothing, if you get nothing else out of the day, when you close down your computer or, or, or when you go to lunch and come back or whatever, take time to start discovering God's plan for your life and what he intends to do with you so that you're not driven out of boredom to materialism and sexual sin. God cannot abide where sexual sin is fantasized about. The power of God can't flow through a body that's constantly yielded to sin. And you can't charge hell with your pants around your ankles. Go back to that illustration, right? You can't do it. You can't get engaged in a battle. You'll be tripping up and falling all over yourself. Right? Now, now, now let's go back to this tape right here because I want to kind of transition this. For those of you whose sexual sin in the past makes you feel worthless, because I know it does sometimes. Now, this is more so for women than men, but not to be sexist, it applies to everybody, okay? If that's you, because sexual sin has this vicious cycle, it's a nasty cycle, because it begins to make you think that you're worthless and that you're dirty. And the more you do so, the more worthless you are and the more dirty you are. And with that idea being implemented into your brain through society outside, you begin to be able to give your body less because you think it's worth less. So you give it into more things you're not supposed to be given into, right? Right? And, and I want you to get a vision of what the gospel says. And I want you to get a vision of what scripture says. And I'm talking about the gospel from front to back, not just salvation, right? That God has purchased you with his blood and washed and remade you into his image. Galatians chapter, or 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 6. Galatians has a lot of good stuff to say about it too, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It lists some sexual sins at the very beginning. He's writing to a church that struggled with it. They struggled with it because of the society they were in. Maybe it relates to us. He lists adultery, fornication, homosexuality, and he goes on. Then he says these words. Such were some of you. Such were some of you. Maybe some of the stuff today I've said was some of you, some of us. Such were some of you. But, there's a holy but right there. But you were washed, sanctified, and justified. Then you could add to it that you were made clean through the washing of Jesus Christ's blood. That, that you were made new. That, 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 that you were being fooled. And I'm not talking about getting a higher self-esteem, church. You need a lower self-esteem. Your high self-esteem makes you think you can handle it on your own, right? Here's the thing. We think we were pure before we got all the dirt on the tape. We only, what does scripture say? The heart is evil. So we weren't even clear when we were like this. Now, th this is kind of crazy, but I love it. But I love it. Do you understand? Now, understand, we're talking, God cannot renew your virginity, okay? But I'm talking spiritually. Do you understand that, that Christ, when he remakes you, can make you purer than you were before you were a virgin? What, what does Scripture say, right? Scripture says that the man's heart is, is, is dirty. It, it, it's, it's ugly. It's evil, right? That's what it says. So even when we were thought we were clear tape before we we dirtied ourselves up and made ourselves unsticky to anything. This stuff won't even stick to itself anymore, right? Before we even did that and we thought we were pure, the Bible says you weren't pure. The heart is evil. Look at the desires you have. Look at the inclinations you have. But when Christ remakes us, he can remake you even purer and cleaner than you ever were. That's why That's why you will stay like this and unable to connect to anything until... You connect to the cross. But after you connect to the cross, 
oh my God, the newness that Christ can bring forth. Don't you ever let anybody think that you're like a a piece of used chewing gum that's not worth anything anymore. You are worth so much. And that is why God has taken so much time in Scripture to paint this for you. That is why God has taken so much of, of real. He didn't even have to include this story in David's story. Think about it. David's a man. It'd be so much easier for God to say, that knucklehead blew it. All I needed was one less person to blow it for my example. He could have just ignored the whole story and you and I would have never known about it. But he doesn't. He says, my people need to learn how to how to be wise and learn from the mistakes of others before they make the mistake themselves. Learn from David. Learn from David's story, right? The power of God is greater than any damage of sin. The blood of Jesus makes you purer than you've ever been in your entire life before. And there it gives us to number three. We've kind of talked about it because it's such an obvious one, but I want to make sure you got it down. Obvious one. Flee temptation. Flee temptation. Get whatever help you need. Quit manning up. Quit thinking you got it. You don't have it. You don't. If you had it, you wouldn't need God. Stop hanging out where and with who you shouldn't be hanging out with and where you shouldn't be hanging out with. The men have heard this. I don't know if I've ever said this to the church. Second Timothy 2.22. I think it's on the screen. If not, most of us should know, or at least I can give you a basic idea. I'm very bad on quoting word for word. Flee from youthful passions. Guess what youthful passions are? Y'all still ain't going to say it. Hey, that's my boy. Here's what youthful passions are. And hear me, my 11-year-old, because it's coming. Youthful passions is when you have a desire for a woman. It's when you first think, man, she's cute. It's when you first begin to think, man, I kind of like her. I don't know why I like her or what it is, but but there's this feeling that, that I'm feeling. That's what it is. Youthful passions. Anybody going to be brave enough to tell me they remember some youthful passions? Come on. I'm not going to call you out to give me an example. I just want to know I'm not alone this morning. I'm alone. Okay. All right. I got five people. Five of us like sex. Thank you, Lord. Only five of us like it, but the rest of us still experience it someday and understand that they like it too. Here's what it says. Here's what I ain't going to lie. I'll tell you right now. God gave it to me for my wedding gift. It was awesome. Right? Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. Along with those. From a pure heart. Here's what the verse is saying, guys. This you're allowed to run away from. But make sure while you're running away from it, you're running toward these other things. Now, now here's the part I tell the men in the upper room, and I want to make sure you get this. Here's why God tells you to run. If you are too, and I'm going to say it right as blunt as I can. If you are too stupid as a man to think you can handle temptation, and you're too stupid to think that God is a liar, God himself is telling you to run away from it. Here's why. And I love this. This is beautiful. God is saying, you knucklehead, I made that desire inside of you. I wired everything up where you get a click here and a click somewhere else. You know what I'm saying, right? I did that. I'm God. I designed it that way. And if you think your little feeble self can overcome a desire that I put in you, you're an idiot. Now, God says it a whole lot nicer and cleaner than I do, but you get the point, right? My point is this, and here's why I tell it to men all the time. You can't outdo a desire that God gave you, right? Now, I don't know if I'm the only man, but sometimes my wife tells me she wishes that desire was a little less, okay? But I'm proud to say this. Baby, that's a desire God gave me. It can't get no less, right? As long as it's handled the right way, huh? I told you, I will dig a hole today because I don't care. 
It's quarantine season, baby. Right? I can't sleep with a girl if I'm not alone with her. Flee from it. Number four, probably the most important. So zone back in and be real with me. I'll kid this out. We're wrapping up. We're wrapping up. I promise. Zone back in with me. Most important, be captivated by God's beauty. Be captivated by God's beauty. David is seduced by Bathsheba's beauty because he wasn't captivated by God's beauty. Do you get do you get what this is saying? Right? Do, do you get this? Look at chapter 12, what God says. Just just one verse from chapter 12 because we'll be on it next week. Ah, we might not be on it next week. Next week's Mother's Day. That'd be a rough sermon to do on Mother's Day. We will skip that next week and be on it in two weeks. God, you knew what you were doing, right? The problem, <laughs> the problem is all of this is that you despised me. Now, therefore, verse 10, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. When I think of the word despise, guys, to be honest and blunt, I think of hate. Did, did David begin to hate God? No, David never said that. So what does despise really mean in this context? Despise means that he loved the pleasure of Bathsheba more than he loved God. He was willing to trade in God and trample God's glory for a moment of pleasure with Bathsheba. He is despising God the same way. Here, let's get it real. The same way a husband would come home for, to a wife and a children of three and have to tell them that he despised them. And thought a moment with his secretary was better than their family life. Correct. Did it mean that the, the, the husband stopped loving the, the woman and the three kids? No, I bet he still loved his kids. But he thought so much less of them that he was willing to trade them in for a cheap thrill with the woman. David despised God by being willing to separate from God to get a moment of pleasure. We got to weigh out our sin. I think we said that a couple weeks ago, right? Weighing it out, understanding what, 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 what sin really, what really brings forth. And what this means is this. You can avoid sin. The best way to avoid sin is to increase in the delight of God. That's the best way to avoid sin. You will only be free from sin when the pain of what you'll lose is greater than the heart and the thrill of what you'll receive. That's it. A lot of people are, are, are they're messing up in this right here. We do this with self-help books, right? We try to conquer our own lust. We, we got them, right? We say overcome your lust by, by lessening. Uh, uh, tame your beast. Bring it under control, right? No. No. You don't overcome sexual sin by, by learning to love it less. You overcome sexual sin by learning to love God more. And you love God so much that the, the, the little cheap thrills don't work anymore. It, it's when the passion that you feel for God and his plan is so great that that thrill just it can't do it. And some of you are thinking right now, I know what you're thinking because we're going to go back to that, that youthful lust thing, right? It was in your brain. Yeah, but you can't cut it off once it starts. Right? You don't understand. Like, like a kiss maybe, but, but after it starts... Like there's no cutting it off. Bullcrap. Here's what I mean. Go back to that youthful lust moment. If you're brave enough to admit you've been there. Some of you are more holier now, so you have it, right? You're making out with a girl, right? You're with her. Heat of the moment's going. You're right there at the switch where it can't be cut off. And her dad comes in. Light switch cut off, didn't it? Didn't it? Be honest with me, man. It cut off real quick. Like you didn't even know what happened quick. Did it mean that you magically stopped liking the girl? Did it mean that you magically stopped wanting what you wanted? No. What it meant is that the fear for your life was worth more than the moment of pleasure. Right? That's exactly what it meant. Is, is it not any different with God? 
Are we too foolish to think that God is cutting on the light switch as Abba Father? And that he's disappointed in what he sees his children doing? So therefore they should stop instantly? Right? Sexual sin is great. Right? But God's grace is greater. God's grace is greater. You know, and, and I didn't I didn't picture this till till today. I'm, I'm ashamed to say, really, as far as the illustration, you don't take a, a lot of small steps to God. You take one step to God, one step to that cross. That's all we did. Put the tape up there, right? One step to that. It's still up there. That's awesome. See, once you stick to God, you stick. That's all. That's good stuff. God, God holds you even when you lose your stickiness. Lots of sermon lessons, right? When you take that one step there, though, you're actually getting a billion steps that God already took to come to you all at once. Now, that's a pretty picture when you think about it, because we think we got to. Get a little closer. No, you just got to take one step and you obtain all the billion steps that Christ has already taken to be with you. That's beautiful, man. That's beautiful, right? Right. And, and here's the last one. I told you it's just a point. So you type a personality. You can tell me you hate me or you can just zone in in two weeks when we come back to it. Number five, don't cover up your sin. Don't cover up your sin. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes him will obtain mercy. If you get a chance over the next week or two, read Psalm 32. Write it down. Read Psalm 32. Psalm 32, I believe, is David at this moment right now in his life. David's under intense conviction during this time. And, and here's what he talks about in the psalm. But the joy has evaporated from his life. The stress and the agony of living a double life, a false life, is getting him. And there's no relief until he repents and gets right with God again. And I think just like for David, that's where it is. It's the same way for us. There's a quote that says, the better the man, the dearer the price he pays for a short season of pleasure. Now, that's true. That's true, whether we like it or not. David was in a terrible place because he had too much sin to be happy with God, but he had too much God to be happy with his sin. That's kind of a good place to be in a weird sense, because at least you know you need to change, right? David, a man after God's own heart. Now, God's going to draw David back to repentance and restoration. That's why he's called a man after God's own heart. He's going to repent. It takes him a while. Roughly a year, I think, if I did the time frame right. But but he does, right? When it's most, nece- the, the biggest necessity for confession it is immediately. Da- David, th- this, here's a picture for you since you like pictures, right? David, should have he should have got up on the side of the bed and repented immediately. The minute he stopped laying down, he should have rolled over to the side of the bed and instantly repented. And it would have stopped a lot of what went on, right? If not uh, immediately confronted, sin takes a really weird and a really bad course. Think about think about David. Here's what I love. Here's what I love. The band's going. Here's what I really like. So you got David, right? He he sees a girl bathing, gets a bad thought. That's one slip. Checks out about her. Two slip. Invites her over. Three slip. Has sex with her. Four slip. She gets pregnant. So he tries to do a cover up with some lies. Another slip. That doesn't work. So now he's got this murder plot going. Not only does he murder the, the, the Hittite, but he, but he also murders the rest of the men that were with him. Big, big slip. Do you think for a moment that Satan could have tempted David to do all that at once? No way. No way. David was a man after God's own heart. If David would have saw this, if he would have stood back and saw this whole thing at once, I don't think he'd ever did it. David would have never said, yeah, let me kill one of my friends. Let me kill the men that were with him. Let me destroy it. Let me have a baby that's going to die. Let me ruin a marriage. Yet, let, let me almost ruin the kingdom. Let me ruin the example I set for all my kids. Let me do all that. No, David would have never done that. But what David did was he let Satan, as sneaky as he is, just feed him a little bit. And just feed him a little bit. And just feed him a little bit. 
It just feed him a little bit, and that's the path it took. Stop letting Satan's evil plans feed you a little bit. And start letting God feed you a lot. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. God, we're so we're so thrilled, Lord God, to know that even when we mess up, even when we make mistakes, God, even when we get dirty, unsticky, and the feelings and the value of ourselves change, Lord God. God, it is you that makes us worthy. It is you that comes into the rescue, Lord God. If we're just so willing to repent, God, don't let anybody right now miss what you had for them today. God, if it was something that needed a change in their life, then you begin to change it right now, God. God, if it was just an opening to understanding a higher calling that you had for their life, let them understand it right now. God, if it was something they needed to flee from, God, give you some track shoes so they could run away fast. Make sure they're chasing toward the right thing. God, I love the song that you picked. God, I don't, I don't think anybody on stage or, or anybody else picked. I think you picked it. God, I love that we can praise you when we're in the storm because David's in a storm right now. Probably one of the worst storms he could possibly be in because it's a spiritual storm. God, I pray right now, Lord God, that you let us have our hearts and our minds opened to exactly what it is that you want to do with us through chapter 11 today. God, move, don't let us wait to chapter 12, God, to get right like David. Let us get right today. God, let, let us get engaged today. Accomplish what it is you want to accomplish, Lord. In your great name we pray. Amen.